welcome you to another episode of the podcast, Church is Changing. I'm Paul Nixon, and I am here with my friend, Deacon Don Canham, who is the minister assigned to the Lantern Methodist Church in Rains Park, a neighborhood of London in the United Kingdom. Don, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. The weather's been very kind to us in London today. Well, kind weather in London is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. About two months ago, I had the, the opportunity to visit, and it was very kind in March, but I understand that it's been a little less so since then. We've had a few storms, but uh, yeah, it's not, been too, it's not been too bad. And of course, with the Queen's official birthday today, it was lovely to have the sunshine on Horse Guards Parade. So yes, happy Jubilee. Thank you. <laughs> so Lantern Methodist Church works in partnership with an arts organization, and you operate in tandem in the same facility. This is one of the interesting things about the way that you have repurposed this enormous church building. Tell us a little bit about that organization and how do you work together? Okay, yeah, so the Lantern Arts Centre was born out of the church congregation just over 25 years ago, and it was born from an idea of two lay people, Rob and Jackie Frost, And they took it and ran with it that they wanted to have a community arts theatre and uh, run programmes for acting and for opportunities to put on productions. So just over 25 years later, they are a separate charity and they just rent a a few rooms from us at the church. And the relationship over that 25 years has gone up and down, really depending on who's been in charge of both the church and artistic directors of the Arts Centre. But we're now in a fabulous place where I'm fortunate enough to serve, and I serve alongside our current artistic director, which is Amy Phillips, who is an actress, an English actress. And We're beginning this journey probably about four years ago now, where we're able to listen to one another and really discern where the Spirit is leading us to work together in partnership. And you also come from a theatre background, so you and Amy share that in common as, as you come with your respective roles in partnership. Yes, definitely. I mean, although I'm not perhaps performing arts, I love to do crew work. I've now co-directed two very small plays, but with a real social action message behind them. And I'm passionate about how the arts, performing arts, I suppose, but also all kind of arts forms can inform us and help us to live fully. As, as human beings, and to embrace that life in all its fullness. Now, when I first met you a couple of years ago, it, right before the pandemic, you had had a Christmas party in the facility for all the different folks who have any relationship with programming that happens there and, and their loved ones and so forth. And I recall you 
giving a number of like 1,900 people came through the church building on a Saturday for the Christmas party. It, it, is that the scale in which we touch people through this ministry? I think it is. I think we open our buildings and we rent our rooms out to a very diverse group of our community and that is our local community and in southwest London. We rent out rehearsal space for West End shows and for cruise ships, entertainment crews to begin rehearsing before they go away to sea. And our Christmas celebration is really an opportunity for the church and the arts centre to work together on something. So in our sanctuary, we let the arts centre take over and we host entertainment all day. So it begins with our children and our youth theatre groups and obviously all of their families come along to watch them perform. Then we have swing dance and flamenco dancing. We have sometimes a snippet or a scene of our main house show that we've got going on over Christmas. And then in our other large halls, we have a craft fair and which we invite members of our community who have made things to come along and, and take part in that. And all the way through that, there is food and drinks outside. We have a brass band playing Christmas carols and we all dress up. And so, yeah, it's a real link to the community about how the arts and our spirituality around that time of year can come together. Well, that sounds like a fabulous annual event. Partnering with a growing community arts organization, I've, how, how does that impact Lantern Methodist Church? Well, we've seen, certainly over the last four years, we've seen our numbers increase as people have come along to productions, seen our literature on the walls, or they have looked at their program because we're very fortunate that in our arts centre programmes that we produce for our productions, we're able to put in information about the church, who we are, and we have embarked on a journey, and since post-pandemic, to reimagine, yeah, reimagine our worship and what that might look like. So we're authentically being able to invite people to church, knowing that they're going to experience something different from what they might have experienced before in church. So we we've talked about how worship gatherings and arts performances, you know, they're kind of distinctive moments. You can't bottle it. You, it, it happens and it's gone. You know, it's kind of this, right. um, it's, there's something kind of ephemeral about it. It's beautiful, but it's like smoke and it's, it's mm. gone. Is, what, what are you learning about, about worship and about the gift of that moment? What's, what, and, and, and you talk about it, I don't know what the words you used a moment ago with changing or or what's 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 happening with with your understanding and practice of worship. I think it's a reimagining. I think we're using our imagination to discern and to look at where the spirit is is leading us. And yeah, it's that impermanence, that moment to moment 
In a theatre production, you're totally absorbed in what's going on. If it's a musical, if it's anything, a play, you are totally in that moment. And you've forgotten about your shopping list. You've forgotten about all the things that that go on outside of that place. And you are living literally moment to moment. And I think we're learning in in our worship gatherings that that is the kind of attention that we need to be paying to our worship. Because I think it can be very easy for us to attend a gathering sit back, go, I know how this goes, five hymns sandwich, I'll, I maybe think about the shopping or the dinner or what's happening on later on in the week because we've tuned out so much to what's going on. And I think what theatre performance brings to us in worship gatherings is that excitement about the moment and not knowing where we're going to be led next with them. So it's almost keeping the audience on the edge of their seats, really. You know, in the wake of the, in this late stage of the pandemic, I shouldn't say in the wake of, but in this late stage, mm. the West End theaters are packed full. And yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine all community theaters, people are getting back out, sporting yeah. events. Churches are not filling up in the same way. Why are people more attracted or why do they find a greater relevance or engagement with theater, with arts, with than they do with church services? Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this a lot over many years now. And I think it's about human connection. I think in church, we have been gifted with a book of stories that are amazing. But over the years, we don't tell them like they're amazing anymore. They're over-familiar. But just like you can go to a Shakespeare play that might be just as over-familiar to you if you love that genre of theatre, there is something in the attention of the audience, the atmosphere that you're in, And you're able to actually connect. And it's not just in theatre. I think the best place I see this kind of human connection for me is in stand-up comedy. Hmm. I love stand-up comedy. And how can you get one person standing in a stadium that's normally reserved for rock stars telling jokes and having an entire audience laughing with them. It's because they recognize themselves in those stories. And you can laugh along, even if it's laughing at yourself, or you're thinking and cringing and saying, oh no, that's that's me, I do that. But the stand-up comics do it in such a way that it feels... This connection is there and you're looking around with the people around you and they're going, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. And all of a sudden, these people have a connection and they can feel it in the air. I think there's almost like a a sense of electricity that goes through the room when human beings 
really connect on that level. And I think people crave that. I think as we're emerging from the pandemic, we've been isolated for over two years. And I think people craving that connection, they're craving human touch and and a human relationship with people. And so our churches, unfortunately, historically, don't really offer that. They offer a space for you to sit, maybe, on your own or with others, but you're told to be silent. Your opinion doesn't matter. And there's very little connection with the material, I think, now. And that's where the performing arts, for me, um, win over by making those connections. Well, in performing arts, you're constantly paying attention to your audience for that connection. And and, in stand-up, intense connection of... Of, of observing, you know, what's going on. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but, but there's yeah. a, a powerful observation from the, from the comedian or the performer in terms of what's happening in the room. Yeah. It would seem that that may be missing in the way that we do worship. I think it is. I think we're so caught up in saying the right thing, not upsetting anyone. And also just reeling out the same things week in, week out. I think most pastors, and I would say for myself at training college, we don't learn that craft of being able to connect. We 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 learn pastoral vis- visiting and how to connect on a one-to-one level and how to be attentive listeners and to notice body language. But so much as when you're leading worship, there's no lessons, basically, in, in how to connect because we don't see them as an audience or even participants. They're congregation members. And that sort of diminishes their role, I think, slightly, where if we were to reframe them and look at them as an audience and as participants, almost like immersive theatre, where they're a part of what's going on, and they can change and create the energy that's in the room. Indeed. Indeed. You know, I, I um, just recently saw the film Coda, which was the mm-hmm. Academy Award winner for Best Picture of, of this year. Um, and it, it, there's a scene in the movie. Did you see that film by chance? I haven't seen it, but having read about it, we had a very similar incident and with the BBC Strictly Come Dancing last year, where a deaf celebrity was dancing, and we had a period of silence through a song to experience how she experiences it. So there's this this young girl has um, a gift for music, but everyone else in her family but her is deaf, and so her art form feels extremely abstract to them. Mm. And so there's a scene where she's giving a concert, and they under the family's supportive. They're there. They understand this is a big deal. But the the movie goes silent at that point, so we can experience this concert from the perspective yeah. of of her family. And they see her her mm-hmm. they see the mouths moving, and they begin to notice the reaction of the audience. 
Yeah. And so they get just little echo in the faces and the reaction of the audience that suggests maybe something good is going on in here. But it, as I watched that, I just felt like, is this not how people feel often when they walk into a church and it's almost like it's broadcasting on a frequency that they don't have any history with yeah. and they don't, they, don't, they don't know what to do with? It overwhelms yeah, them. exactly. Yeah, I think it does. I think that's right. You know, you, you go into a place you just don't know what to expect or that you feel that you're going to stand up or sit down in the wrong places. So, yeah, I think it's it's very difficult when they come into a church and they can't connect for some kind of reasons. They're missing something. And it's not necessarily on their part either. I think we're not very good at giving signals out we're not very good at being able to help people navigate through the language, through the complexity sometimes of theology. And and we leave people feeling adrift, not being able to make those human connections and not being able to really pick up the cues just like we do with body language, with people's inflections in their voices. Everything in, in church seems to be a very monotone. And and so it's very difficult to pick up cues, social cues and, and voice cues, I think, in that respect. So, yeah, I think it's very much like that incident, both in the UK, um, when we had Strictly Come Dancing and we had a deaf celebrity and she was absolutely amazing but she they turned the music off in one part to actually allow us to feel I suppose and to hear what she doesn't hear and and that was really fascinating we assume we think we know how everybody's going to react when they get into church and those assumptions aren't working anymore well, with any art form, we have to be oriented to it to some degree, and yeah. church is a kind of an ancient, or at least what we do in worship, is a very is an accumulation of some ancient art forms that if you're not in on a little bit of the history and the the experience of that, you haven't been attuned to that, it's just weird. Yeah, totally. I mean, we would, we've been starting holding monthly in conversation with gatherings instead of place of a we're not normal but but a regular gathering service and a couple of weeks ago we invited our superintendent minister and we had a conversation about communion and it was a real honest one we we shared communion afterwards but it was so honest you know I was able to ask questions like do you know what's do some people think it's weird that we drink blood and uh, and eat flesh? <laughs> what on earth does that mean? And how can we, you know, be able to start to talk about that? And it's and it's really interesting because we we think we know what we mean, but sometimes nobody else does either. <laughs> it's certainly interesting that after years of taking communion there there's nothing that feels abnormal about it yeah and yeah. yet there's always a moment when you're first exposed to anything that it 
it it's it's unfamiliar. It it may yeah. feel odd. Um, yeah. You know, I, I remember the first time that I heard Peking Opera, and it was like mm. that's the strangest stuff I've ever seen or heard. And but yeah. but if you've seen it two or three times, you begin to get past kind of the the shocking nature of that art form, and and you see, yeah. they're, hey, they're just telling a story, and this is how they tell it. Uh, yeah, and it's how we engage with that story. I think sometimes our liturgies don't help us in being able to tell that story using our senses. I mean, we were just talking about people who have um, hearing impairments and, you know, we don't engage necessarily in our gatherings with all of our senses and allow people to to experience that in its fullness. So in, in a theatre context, mm. especially if we're maybe doing Shakespeare or doing something that's a little bit outside the the cultural norms of what might be on, on an easy watching kind of yeah. a streaming TV show. Mm-hmm. What do theater folk do to help their audience connect with the story? If it's, if, if there might be certain aspects of, of the presentation that might feel off-putting at first. Yeah. I mean, when I first experienced Shakespeare, I was exactly the same, but I was very fortunate. It was a showing of a production of Midsummer's Night's Dream, which then turned out to be my favourite. And it was in Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. And I was at first taken by the costumes, the lighting, the scenery, and the way the characters moved and weaved in and out of one another and how they told the story yes with very old English and not necessarily the order that we would say things and they but they told it through their whole beings with their faces with their bodies with the interacting with each other so you began to follow all these different things of what was going on. So the language itself became less important and you were able to pick up what was going on. It's a bit like watching opera, Italian opera or something for the first time when you don't speak Italian and you're you're picking up facial cues, you're picking up the tempo of the music. I think music is so underused in our churches and we miss all those cues of how we can watch something, be it a movie or um, a theatre production, and the music can fill us in a point where we actually know what's going to happen next because our anticipation levels are really high, where we're, we're waiting, the music has got dramatic, so we know that something's going to happen next. And, you know, in churches, that just doesn't happen. We rely on maybe archaic language um, without all the other cues that go with that to help build up the narrative. And that's what theatre production and any kind of art form like that can do. It builds that fuller picture of what is going on. In, in your answer, as, I, as I'm processing, I hear multisensory. Yep. I hear about unbelievable rehearsal and mm-hmm. execution 
and attention to the the energy, the pacing, a lot of concern yeah. in the in the presentation that, mm-hmm. that that's necessary, especially when you're dealing in an old art form. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the rehearsals that go into performing Shakespeare are just unbelievable. It's not something you can just knock out. You know, you, you can't just read the script and go, oh, I've, I've got this. You know, productions. So we've started just now for our summer production. Well, we actually started three weeks ago with auditions for our summer production that won't take part until the end of July. And they will rehearse twice a week. The play is actually Noel Coward's Hay Fever. Mm-hmm. And it's set just in one evening. But the amount of rehearsals that have to go into that and the attention to detail on everybody's part, it's not just the actors. And I think for me, being backstage crew sometimes is so overwhelming because I see all these things happening and how they all feed into one another and how the communication levels have to be there between so many people to create this act of theatre. Another thing I think about too, when I think about seeing plays that I've seen multiple times is how different they are from one time to the next because of the different characters, different actors bring out entirely different aspects of a character. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the 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 show may be blocked in an, in a very different way, staged mm. differently. You know, I and it's like a fresh show. It's like a brand new experience. Yeah. A lot of times mm. at church it feels like it's the same old same old same old nothing ever moves or changes yeah. or shifts. Yeah. It was really interesting. I watched Jesus Christ Superstar, the film, not the film version, but the, the, the film staged version. And it had the Australian Tim Mitchin playing Judas Iscariot. And then straight out of the pandemic, I went to see the concert at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. And it was played by a brilliant young actor. But the dynamics, because of age, of ethnicity, and also of where they were in their acting journey meant these were two totally different Judases singing the same line, going through the same actions, but giving a totally different aspect of Judas's character to life. And that's the way it is at theatre. And that's why yeah. you lean forward because you're never sure what's going to happen. And then when you see kind of where it's going you think oh this is really interesting yeah this is a yeah. this is a surprise this is mm-hmm. this is a kind of outside of what I was expecting yeah and we don't have people on the edge of their seats do we normally in our congregations not usually so back to thinking about how worship is morphing Atlanta in these days. Yep. How is it different than when you started there? You you spoke of a five hymn sandwich. That is a uniquely British term. Yep. Regarding worship, you know, it kind of like a, a club sandwich with a hymn all the way through instead of five pieces of bread. You know, exactly. That's exactly what it was, and very regimented. We stuck to the lectionary, and we do have this pre-teachers. We have lay people that come as local preachers, but we were more waiting for them to tell us what they were going to do. So week by week, we'd just roll out what individual people wanted and ran with the same verses every three years. 
and just went with the seasons and and basically carried on playing the the long playing album <laughs> of the church year. But I had a sabbatical last year and I came back in the August and I said to my worship leading team, I think because we want to be somewhere different, we've actually got to take ownership of our worship. We've got to be able to say, this is what we would like. This is who we feel we authentically are. And therefore, our worship should reflect what we're putting out in our publicity, how we are in pastoral encounters, and how we are with the Arts Centre. So we have a format for three Sundays in the month in which we still invite other people to come and preach. But we give them, we, we set a theme, we give them the readings, we also prescribe what translation of the Lord's Prayer to use um, and how to explain. And we also ask them for a reflection followed by a discussion. Ah. So our congregation members are no longer just sitting there. Well, a discussion means that there's no telling what's going to happen. Now I'm beginning yeah. to lean forward. Because yeah. someone someone might ask a really hard question. Oh, believe you me. And then when we have the in conversation with, and our guests may have had the questions beforehand from me, what I'm going to ask. But when I open it to the floor, anything can happen. And and so yeah, you literally are on the edge of your seat because I can't tell when I'm stood up there what people are necessarily thinking and what's going through their minds. So for them to be able to go, hey hang on a minute, what about this? Or did you think this was going to happen? Or could you explain this in a bit more depth because I don't understand the terms you're using? So people are responding well to this kind of a of an approach? We are. We haven't lost anyone. <laughs> and we are gaining people as they're beginning to tell their friends um, that this is something a bit different. Now, on three Sundays, you have a certain format. What's the, what is the fourth yeah. Sunday? So the fourth Sunday is the in conversation. We start and we run the whole morning with breakfast. Oh. So for, for, for English, it would be bacon and sausages in a bread roll. And we have tea and decent coffee on all the time. So people can get up, walk around, grab something to eat, sit down. The conversation happens just like a chat show on the stage. We ask our guests to choose music, not necessarily hymns. We ask them to choose music that's impacted them, but they have to be explained why they've chosen that music. And say so we have about 20 minutes, half an hour of, of this conversation, and then we open it to the floor. And those conversations can go on for over an hour sometimes where people are picking up threads and going, but what about this and what about that? And we're able to invite members of our community. So we've had citizen organisations. We've had people from the church that are in the hierarchy, perhaps, and things like that. And we've also had the opportunity to be able to play an act or a scene from the current production, which gives our congregation an opportunity to see a part of what we're putting on and then actually have a conversation with the actors, with the director. And so we're learning more about 
why has this gone on and, and what's it all about? It sounds really, really engaging and it sounds <laughs> it sounds fun. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting hearing you reflect about the way that being a part of a theater center and a thriving theater center where you can yeah. pack the house out for shows is impacting yeah. the way that you approach worship. That that's I mean, in addition to all the good relationships that are happening, it's mm. not like mm. we're just doing this theater center to pay the bills or something, but it yeah. really is um, impacting the way you do church. Totally, because I think we, we can become very complacent in church. And when you come from a country that feels that it was a Christian country or should still be and that everybody knows what's going on, you do become comfortable in that. We're not persecuted in this country for our faith. And so, of course, that leads to that comfortableness, that laid back. And we think we know it all. And, and I think it's that opportunity to be pupils again, to sit down, be students and actually go, wow, these other strands of the world around us has so much to teach us. And for so long, I think we've gone out into the mission field, if you like, with this concept that we know best rather than sitting down and actually listening first and recognizing that we have so much to learn from the outside world still and and not being complacent about that. Well, I, I get a sense that you are a part of conversation. I, I It reminds me of Paul's words, I believe in 1 Corinthians, in the old King James language, where he talks about, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, where he says, I've had this conversation in the world, kind of re- reflecting on his whole ministry, his whole journey, mm-hmm. that it was a, mm-hmm. it was dialogue, you know, it was a, it was a yeah. rich dialogue. Yeah. And we, we've turned the sound down on other people for a long time. Just after I was with you um, this last time, I was up in a different part of the country and I attended Evensong um, one evening at a lovely cathedral. And then I walked mm. at, with night of us, I believe. And then I walked out and there were all of these young people in the courtyard of the church. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's like two different worlds. And the people yeah. inside wouldn't have a clue about the people outside. The people outside wouldn't yeah. have, would not be able to make any sense of what was going on inside. I said, we really ought to find a way to get the people in here and the people out there in community together. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. It's, it's not being static. And being able to step into the river and see where it takes us. Stepping into the river and seeing where it takes us. (laughs) Friends, um, I'm Paul Nixon, and I am visiting with Deacon Dawn Canham from Rains Park, England, just outside of London. She is the minister assigned to Lantern Methodist Church. What an interesting conversation. We didn't even get into all the relationship building that happens through the arts organization or the way that you team and everything. We've kind of taken this in terms of just focusing on how being a part, being in that partnership is helping you do better the work of what the church does. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think this is it. You know, I've spoken to you before about what I believe, theater, church, and how it could be perhaps be encapsulated. And, and I've said to you this before, I believe 
it's an embodied act of co-creation with the divine, with and for a gathered group. And that works for both theatre and our churches. An embodied act of co-creation with and for the divine and... With and for a gathered group. With and for a gathered group. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. Thank you, Don, for taking time to visit with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And a happy jubilee to you and yours. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. I'm. This is Paul Dixon, and we are sharing together in the podcast, Church is Changing. It is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.